Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by... The Neighborhood Grills with locations in Green Lake, East Lake, Lake Forest Park, Maple Valley, and Bremerton. Be sure to explore their upgraded menus online at neighborhoodgrills.com today. This is Jeff Pita from VinCrew USA. Welcome to the Seattle Dining Show. Coming to you live at the Test Kitchen Studio high atop Queen Anne Hill, it is time for the Seattle Dining Show. Join us as we explore news about Northwest restaurants, take a look at upcoming events, discover new kitchen tips you can use at home, dive into great recipes, and much more. And now, here's your host, the senior editor, Connie Adams, and whoever else just happened to drop by today. Hey, welcome to Seattle Dining's April show, number 1704. I'm Connie Adams, senior editor, and I'm here with Tom Marin, publisher of Seattle Dining. Hello, hello, hello. Oh, three three hellos. That's a big one again. Hey, you know what? Um, I personally am from a family of jokesters, and so uh, I like to laugh a lot. You and I laugh a lot together, but April is one of those months when you're allowed to really joke a lot. Anything could happen. Anything could happen. And you could be laughing after it happens. You know, that would be the point of something happening. <laughs> we don't know. I'm just saying, let's have some fun this month. So um, today our monthly discussion is going to center on foods that you might be bringing home or the places you might be bringing them home from or getting them from. Well, you know, things have really changed. Um, there are an awful lot of food delivery services around both yeah. uh, raw foods and pre-cooked and yeah i mean grocery delivery services you got uh, all kinds of restaurant delivery services yep. now and you've got a lot of things popping up in fact we had somebody on the show about 4 or 5 months ago about this where they they pre-make meals and then you know Drive send them around. to you and then you make the meal you actually cook the meal but all your stuff is there and the instructions oh, yeah. are there and so there's all that so that you're still cooking and, and feeling like you're eating a homemade meal, but you didn't have to go grocery shop and do all the work. Yeah. Prep-wise. So. Kind of crazy. That's not the way yeah. I like to cook. Well, you know, I, I've been thinking about this, and of course, we have a little different um, lifestyle because of what we do. So when you decide you want to cook, you'll go down at 10 o'clock in the morning and get what you want for maybe two or three stores and take the time to do it during the day, and you might work that night or you might work. Saturday, you know, so, but other people who are working eight to five shifts or, you know, overnight shifts or something. They just want to have a, they just want to be fed. Yeah. They, they need food and they've got to keep themselves going. If they've got a family, maybe they don't want to just, you know, throw a frozen pizza on the table all the time. So they want something nicer. Um, and a lot of people who work in the tech industry work a lot of hours. And so they want good food and they appreciate good food, but getting to a grocery store and doing all that stuff is really time-consuming. So if they can yeah. get something either done, 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 you know, or that they can just uh, heat well, up and cook. And then you have all the delivery services for restaurant food, like the Bite Squad. I think that was one of the first ones. It was and, the first really techie one. Yeah, and then we've seen a few others come along. And now you got Amazon jumping into and that. And Uber Eats. And you got Uber Eats jumping into it. Is there enough business for everybody, or is they just all going to kill each other? Well, there? and you know, the other question I have, not only about whether they kill each other, but I wonder about how the restaurants deal with it, because there's a a charge to it. I mean, everybody does it a little differently. But I've noticed on people's websites, restaurant websites, that they'll have like four or five delivery services. 
And you know, that's that's like crazy because I guess I, I remember when uh, Bite Squad started up, you walked into a restaurant that that was a Bite Squad account and they had a um, a dedicated computer oh yeah coming in and spitting out the orders and yeah. So you'd have to either have a separate dedicated computer for every service or you'd have to have one computer that somehow – I guess somebody must have built a bridge yeah. between all these and it just APIs into one place and says, uh, this one is from Amazon and it, yeah. blah, 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 blah. I don't know. And you know, I don't <clears throat> honestly recall the restaurant. I'm not saying that to be nice. I really don't remember. But I remember doing this using one service one time with a restaurant and it took – like days to get the food. I'm I'm exaggerating, of course. It was the same day, but um, forever. And when we questioned them about it, it was like, you know what? We we really just started this, and we don't know how to cut it off, and we can't handle the business right now. But we don't know how to say no more orders from such and such a delivery. Just unplug service. it from the wall. I think they would have had to. <laughs> Maybe what they did eventually. What you do. But you know, it's it's one of those things when you sign up as a restaurant to do these things, you need to go through all those steps and figure out. What could happen, and how do we deal with that happening? Yeah. So I suppose nobody thinks they'll get so much business they'll be overwhelmed. Everybody would love to be really busy. So um, let's talk about grocery stores because you and I tend to like to to cook at home ourselves. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I don't know about you, but I have like seven to ten different grocery stores that I use. That's funny. When you said we wanted to talk about groceries today, I was thinking, I'm going to talk about how I've gone back to the pre-supersized store deal where I go to – like I go one place to get meats and I go one place to get veggies. And yeah. I do it the long way now. But I just – first of all, I enjoy it doing that. Yeah. I like And I like the focus of certain things. And sometimes we have certain brands that we want because we try to eat organic or this or that. And they yeah. don't have it at every store. So. Exactly. So I thought we'd just kind of go through a list of them today. Yeah, okay. Um, and I got to thinking about this because the other day you didn't have any plastic wrap. I know. And so I went to the nearest grocery store to your house, which is Trader Joe's, and they don't sell plastic wrap. No, they don't sell stuff like that. They're really food-based. So, you know, right then they don't have a 100% dedicated customer. Yeah. People have yeah. to shop other places if they're going to be a Trader Joe's and that's, customer. That's never what Trader Joe's wanted to be. They didn't want to be something f- for everyone. You know, they had a specific thing. So, so what do you buy? Uh, where do you go shop, and what do you buy? Well, um, I live near a Safeway, and I get things like uh, paper towels or stuff like that. Plastic wrap. Plastic wrap. <laughs> um, they actually have started upping their organic stuff. So I can get some organic fruits and vegetables there. Um, if I if I want a small amount, like usually, if I want to make a salad or put greens in something, I rarely need a whole head of something unless we're having people over. Mm-hmm. So um, I really prefer to go someplace like Ballard Market or QF, well, QFC doesn't do it anymore, at least the one closest to me, where they have the bins Oh, lettuce, yeah. and you can just take a little bit of what you want. That's right. Yeah. So I'll, I'll go to Ballard Market for that. Also, um, Ballard Market is the best place for me to get the Applegate bacon. Um, Ken's used to have it up on top of Queen Anne, but they don't. They don't have the organic one, though. They, they don't have, have the organic now. Yeah. They just have the, the natural Sunday bacon or, or uncured Sunday bacon. But they do have the organic at the Ken's in Greenwood. Yeah. Well, the, the one in Queen Anne is smaller, and I'm sure they just have to pick and choose hmm. what, you know, what they can stock. Um, 
Let's now, see. the other thing you can do, you know, when, you, when you're buying lettuce, uh-huh. um, if you want to buy a bag of, say, like, you know, the baby kale, oh, yeah, that I, makes a nice salad. You buy a bag of that, and then if you don't get to the rest of it in the next few days, you just throw it in a freezer and use it in your smoothie. Exactly. I do that. And the other thing, that's another thing that Safeway is doing, is they have those big bins, uh, like big plastic boxes. Well, boxes. Uh-huh. But it's, they're large, and it's $5 generally for organic Spinach, yeah. baby spinach. Five or four? Or oh, it's the big box. Yes, yeah, the big one. Because I get the small ones and they're four up at Central. Yeah, and so the big one you can get for five bucks at Safeway. Huh. So, um, and that's another one I never go through that much, so off it goes to the freezer. Yeah. When I've, uh, you know, when I'm thinking, ah, oh, I better get this in there. So, let's see, what else do I do? I haven't bought any of this for a while, but I got into the sparkling ice for a while, probably because you started it. Mm-hmm. And not everybody sells it. And everybody has different prices on it. They must do deals left and right with different companies. The ones I normally see is ten for uh, ten for ten dollars, yeah. or a dollar a piece. Yeah, once in a while you'll see a ninety cent per. Oh, really? Per thing, but it's I haven't seen that for a while. Huh? I was thinking about having those at our event this summer, but I'd have to three x them, and that means I'd have to sell them for three bucks a piece. I don't want to do that. Yeah. So yeah, and I do go to Trader Joe's. Um, they have a lot of stuff I like. They've got organic. Stuff and they've got some uh, pre-made things, and they've got kind of those plastic boxes again of of mixed fruits. Like one of the things they do, I like, is you can get a plastic thing of three kinds of grapes: the red, the green, and the black. Uh-huh. So you get a mix, which I kind of like if I'm putting a fruit tray with cheese and. Yeah, this organic. You know, I'd have to go check. I'm not sure. Huh. I'm not sure if it's organic. I, I usually buy organic, so it probably is, but I can't remember offhand. So I, I go to Trader Joe's and I buy some of the organic foods. Like I'm down on my apples now, so I'm gonna go. You got to be careful with Trader Joe's because you know they'll tell you you can buy a banana for eighty nine cents, and you go somewhere else and they're nineteen cents a pound. So Trader Joe's, it's nineteen cents or a it's banana. Nineteen cents a banana. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know there'll be eighty nine cents a pound at the grocery store. So the question is. Is nineteen cents a deal? And then you got to put it on a scale and do all the math and figure it out. Yeah. Same thing with the organic honey crisp apples that they have. You got to uh, uh, keep an eye on what the pricing is that's going on, and are you actually getting a better deal? Um, yeah. The other thing I buy at Trader Joe's is just uh, some wine to have around the house. Yeah, they have good wine prices, and they've actually started carrying some nicer, higher level wines. And I I bought one from the Willamette Valley a couple weeks ago, and the guy was really questioning me about, hey, have you been looking for that? Can you find it? You know, and and he was really uh, interested in what my wine buying habits were. So they're obviously looking at more mm. than just the low end that they get good deals on yeah. that they like. You know, so that was interesting. And then uh, they have the Pacific Sun uh, almond milk that I like. Yeah. Oh, I know what, what, what I was going to say. You know, we, we tried buying a bunch of the products that we used for our shakes at Costco. Yeah. And we found out that our shakes sort of like lost half their flavor. The blueberries didn't taste as spunky. The cherries weren't as spunky. Mm-hmm. The Kirkland almond milk isn't very tasty. We need to do a, like a side-by-side almond milk tasting someday. Yeah. Um, so I was surprised you know, you're saving that, money at the Costco, but you're uh, you're not getting the flavor. And I was surprised at the fruit. It was it's organic, frozen 
blueberries and cherries. Which is supposed to be the best way to get them. Yeah. Because you get them at the height of their ripeness. Yeah. And what we were finding is we'd make the shake up and it would taste like the other ingredients and it would be out of balance. You would taste almond butter. Yeah. Or you'd taste something else and it wasn't in balance anymore. Like you need to throw a tablespoon of cara cara balsamic in. Yeah, you put balsamic in everything. Yum. <laughs> <laughs> I go to Central Market. I get uh, most of my organic veggies there and fruits. Um, I get some dairy stuff there. Um, I get all my grass-fed beef there. Yeah, yeah. And my my free-range chicken and that sort of thing. But if I want uh, really well-grown pork... I'll go down to PCC for that. Yeah, and you also get some of your grass-fed beef there, don't you? Yeah, I do. You're right. And they, yeah. they don't have like a grass-fed uh, brisket, but mm. they have uh, a pretty decent no-type, you know, chemical-type yeah. brisket that they sell. Yeah. And you can get that a couple times a year, Christmas at time, and then you can restock around St. Patrick's Day. And, uh, and then I, what I do is I break it into cubes and put it in the freezer. But... Uh, God, we could, we could just go on and on with this conversation. We could. We've, uh, we got. I go to QFC to buy stamps. <laughs> well, everybody does, right? I mean, that just goes without saying. And I've noticed that Whole Foods has some of the Applegate products I can't find anywhere else. Yeah, you know, I've I've been surprised at Whole Foods. I when I can't find like if somebody's out of the organic bacon and I can't find it, I think, oh, Whole Foods will have that, of course, but they don't carry it. So, yeah. so even though their stores are really quite big, and speaking of Whole Foods, did you see that in the paper the other day? Or? Yeah, that they're, they're the West Seattle one is West Seattle. Did they back out completely, or is it on hold? Well, I, was, I guess it's on hold. I was I hearing know. the on hold, but they were talking about um, the subject was there is so much competition in this high end grocery thing, which is hilarious because everybody's always jokes that Whole Foods is called Whole Paycheck, and and everybody's all mad about how expensive everything is but in this area the stores that are really doing well are the high-end ones yeah and i think now what they should do is wherever it was they were going to go in they should just put a dick's burger in there instead well they did want to go south dick's did but i think there is something in west <laughs> they, they've made a decision on where they're putting the dicks it's yeah. so, somewhere down around federal way oh okay uh, anyways, um, yeah, the, the last thing I'll say on this, it was funny because I know the manager at the QFC down by my house by sight, and he knows me as a customer, and I caught him one day price-checking in another grocery store. <laughs> and I looked at him, I said, now, I wonder what you're doing up here. And he looked at me, he goes, well, I wonder what you're doing up here. And I said, oh, you don't want to go shopping with me. <laughs> it's like I'm going to six or seven different places in one morning. But see, this is why I can't have Amazon bring me my food. I no want to pick it myself. Pick it myself. I want to. I want to get bulk. You know, when I buy things like spices and yeah. stuff, so I'm not buying too yeah, much. Yeah, the spices and, is a big deal. Oh man! You know, the other thing too is that we enjoy talking to people about food. So when we're buying that beef or at the seafood counter, we want to talk to the person who's either the purchaser or who's selling it and knows about it, and you yeah. know. The butchers so, know me over at PCC yeah. and up at uh, Central Market. You know, and although it sounds like it, we're really not the couple from Portlandia who have to know the, what the cow's name was before we eat it and <laughs> what blade of grass she ate. But, you know, it does sound a little bit like that. Hey, before we break for the next section, you're just too modest to bring this up, but I wanted to congratulate you 
on your second place win on the best chili up at Skagit Power Sports last yeah. Saturday. Yeah, there, I tell you, it was stiff secret? competition. What was your secret? What what the, the took secret you to the top? Is my spices. Oh. It's it's what I do with my spices. I don't have secret sauce. I'm not shooting a bunch of uh, Big Mac sauce into my chili and then stirring it Ooh. up. Wouldn't that be good? Let's do that. I uh, know, no, but, uh, <laughs> but it's my it's my spice concoction, and I leave that open to change at All will. Right. And you go down to Central Market and get them bulk. Mm-hmm. There you go. I sure do. All right. Well, listen, we're going to break, and when we come back, we'll take a look at some of the latest tidbits from our News Bites file. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by... Blue Sardinia. Experience the flavors of the Mediterranean in a unique setting located in Redmond. Blue Sardinia offers delicious food as well as wines from both Washington and Europe. You'll find them online at www.bluesardinia.com. Hi, this is Andy Perdue with the Seattle Times, and you're listening to the Seattle Dining Show. Hi, this is Andre from Walla Walla, and when I travel to Seattle, I love to dine at Rock Creek in Fremont. Back with the Seattle Dining Show. I'm Tom Marin, the publisher of Seattle Dining. I'm here with Connie Adams, our lovely senior editor. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> and uh, we got some news bites for you. So uh, let's see, Connie, what's what's going on here today? Well, you know, between the two of us, we've got several that are so hot off the press that we not ha- even in the they're not on the on the site yet because oh. we've got these early on. Uh, the first one is really exciting. I'm very excited about this. Um, Canlis, we all know and love Canlis, high-end restaurant, family-owned, been around a long time, ages. And uh, I don't know how long it's been uh, since Chef Brady Williams came from New York, but um, he came from a place called Roberta's, and it's a wood-fired pizzeria in Brooklyn. Now, it's very popular, and also, interestingly, alongside pizza, you can get really high-end Weird stuff, pork collar, celery root, baked in salt, things like this. Um, and then they also have a 12-seat restaurant within a restaurant called Blanca. So it's a $195 tasting menu. So it, even though it's like he's from a pizza place, he was high-end. Um, so obviously Canlis has the high-end part going. They've you tell me that. they're going to start serving pizza at Canlis? They are. What's going to happen is they're taking out the private rooms upstairs that used to be, I think awesome. it was Peter Canlis's apartment, so you've got that view. You're still going to have to deal with a um, dress code, even though it's pizza. They're moving a wood-fired oven up there because otherwise they'd have to have a separate entrance. You can't have sloppy people going through the lobby. You know, yeah, you could put the wood-fired pizza oven in the little room for two up there on the left side. Yeah, that's what yeah. they're planning to do. So they're nice. going to take that space, and they're going to call it, I love this, flat canless. Flat. Like flatbread. You know, it's like yeah. flat canless. Flat canless. Yeah. Cool. So anyway, that's coming this fall. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Well, yeah. you know this guy, um, um, he owns like 20 restaurants in the city, Fox Squawk. Oh, you yeah, know, yeah, that, that guy. That restaurant tour. Yeah. So uh, think of like some religious – think of different – 
religions and the kinds of foods that are used in those different religions as ceremonies or yeah like 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 maybe like um oh i don't know not not a wafer but um you know good, you mean, good catholic food or oh well, like fish on friday or yeah okay yeah yeah and then rules that, like that yeah, and I don't know. There, there must be. I, I'm not a Muslim, but there must be some Muslim foods that go with various. Yeah, religious. there's what's the, uh, oh, halal, halal, yeah, halal, or like kosher foods. For, yeah, yeah. So Fox Squawk is going to open his 21st restaurant in Seattle, and it's called Sweet Religion. And oh. everything on the menu, it's across all religions, and it's just foods that would be served. During different Maybe even on high holidays or something like that, but all year long. Yeah, I don't know. Supposedly, like maybe there's a blood of the lamb pie or yeah. something. I don't know. But. Well, you know, that's a really interesting concept, but I have to say, I love everything he's done. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm willing to give it a try because everything yeah. that Fox Squawk does, I'm there for. He is exciting. He's an exciting new, well, not new after 20 restaurants, but still. Yeah. Well, my other hot tip today is all about Maria Hines. And as we all know, she's totally into organic. You know, she started Tilth first, and everything is so organic and and great and natural. So it is not a surprise that at her Young American Ale House, which is a family kind of place, so you Mm -hmm. know there's kids coming in, so I think this is perfect. She started an appetizer line called Bug Bites. So she's going to be doing, you know, we talked about crickets one other show. Yeah. She's going to have all these she's different bug like bites. chocolate-covered cockroaches Well, yeah, stuff, but, right? well, I haven't heard anything about dessert yet. This is kind of an appetizer line, but hey, who doesn't want chocolate for Does she doll up the names of them so that little kids don't know they're crickets and cockroaches? No, kids are the ones who want to play with them, you know. Or they get to play with them first and then they oh, can no, eat no, them. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't, that's oh, cruel. Okay. That's just cruel. I thought she might have a live tank or something. Well. You know what? That might be interesting for a little kid to be able to pick out his own cockroach. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to find Maybe she hasn't thought of that. Well, we should uh, maybe ask her about it. We can that. help her along. Yeah. Maybe she's listening. Well, yeah. hey, uh, I just want to let everybody in the audience know that uh, you've made it through the April Fool's section of our news bites. <laughs> and uh, now it is time to roll on to real news. That was our fake news. But uh, we just wanted to have a little fun this month. And so... Um, Fake news is fun. I have lost my place on my tablet. Why don't you take the first one? All right. We're going to talk about Salish Sea Brewing. That's at 518 Dayton in Edmonds. And it's been there a while, but they are expanding into the space around them, and they've got a new kitchen and some more production area. So you can find them at 425-582-8474. They're open Monday through Thursday at 3, and they open at noon on weekends. And they're not the new space is not quite open. It's coming very soon. Okay. You're going to have to keep going because I'm having technical difficulty. Oh, okay. I'm ready. I'm on it. You can count on Why me. Why don't you just run them and I'll, and okay. I'll chime in. That's fine. Um, in Mount Lake Terrace, Tom and I have talked before about how we can never really find places we like that are Chinese. We have not been to this one, but I'm looking forward to it. It's Mandarin Chili. It's 23202 57th Avenue West in Mount Lake Terrace. It's closed Monday. This is the part that I think is interesting. The rest of the days they're open from 2 p.m. to 10 and then 10.30 on Saturdays. Why would you open at 2 p.m.? Um, You're kind of late for a lunch thing. You're early for... High tea? 
High Chinese tea. Maybe that's what it is. Okay. <laughs> All right. And I think most of you know Hapanesa Sushi, their first locations at 1400 First Avenue, downtown Seattle. But they will be opening a second location at the end of April in that Lincoln Square expansion. They'll be in Lincoln Square, too. And then... Everybody wants to go to Lincoln Square. Yes. Then the Meyer will open possibly this week. I don't have a actual date on this yet in Pioneer Square, 118 South Washington. It's the same owner as Shorty's Dogs in Belltown. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking it's going to be fun. It's a bar. They've got bar food. So that should be kind of fun. Then Hotel 1000 Boca has a new daily happy hour. It goes from 2.30 to 6. They're located at 1000 First Avenue. They do drinks plus three price levels of food, six, eight, and ten dollars. Noodles, pork, cauliflower, fun stuff. Okay, and then um, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm back. You're back. Okay, I'm you want to take the next back. one? So, uh, Heavy Restaurant Group is going to be opening up a Mexican restaurant this summer in the North Edge Building across from the Gasworks Park. Now, is that where Element used to be? You know, I'm not sure, but it's it's bigger than that because you remember Element. Elemental. Elemental, oh, yeah, yeah. Element. Elemental it was. Okay. Anyway, they were small, and this has seven, seating for 75. Full bar and a patio. Yeah, so I, I – well, the and the building is new. Probably time to take a walk around Gasworks Park. Yeah. yeah. Check it out. Exactly. Um, Pike Brewing now offering Pike High Five year-round in cans. But you get the Hive Five? Not, yeah. not oh, High. Hive Five. Will you get hives if you drink it? No, it's made with honey from the Salish Lodge bees. So it's a dry and crisp honey ale, but it's not a cider per se. No, it's not a beer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you can get it there. It is available retail at certain stores, and you can get it at the Pike Pub. So even if the bumblebee goes on the uh, endangered species list, I'll still be able to get the hive five well, see, they're not endangered because Salish is doing it, and the Fairmont does it, and the new SLS hotel is going to oh, have don't bees. Don't tell that so. to the administration. <laughs> they know. They'll use that as firepower. <laughs> All, All right. right. Um, now, that's the news bites, mm-hmm. but we had a couple of restaurants we want to talk about. Oh, yeah. So who do we want to talk about? You want me to go first? Yeah, you go first. All right. You know, normally I like to tell you about places to go eat because I think you're so good. And uh, my mom always said, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. But uh, if I have a really bad experience at a restaurant, and this was not food poisoning, um, <laughs> I'm going to tell you about it. Um, I used to go to the 14 Carat Cafe down on East Lake Avenue fairly often because I used to live right down across the street from Serafina. And uh, it wasn't too bad. Never that great, but it wasn't too bad. But uh, Colleen and I went there the other day, and uh, we both had – Horrific digestive experiences there, <laughs> intestinal experiences. And what it really came down to is like the the whole wheat pancake that they serve has way too much sugar in it. Uh, plus, I want to charge you, what, $2 more or $3 Two. more? Two. If you want real maple syrup. The bacon was some of the worst quality bacon I have seen was greasy. in a long time. And it looked like somebody, and I know they do this down at uh, Red Mill Burger, they just cook up, you know, six pounds of bacon, and it just sits there under the heater for as many hours as it's going to until you order it. 
Um, and that's what was going on with this bacon. Um, the orange, I have no idea how long that orange had been sitting around, but it was not <laughs> in good condition. And uh, my body just didn't feel right for another day. After well, you know, that. we talked about this, and and I think one of the things that happens is that as you as the way you eat evolves, yeah, um, we that used to be a healthy option. You know, to be able to get whole wheat pancakes was like some something used you can to be. get. Yeah. But now our what we eat is so different, and there's so many places to eat out that have good quality food or organic or natural. That when you go back to something like this, it's a shock to our systems, and it's a disappointment because in your mind, it's something else. Yeah, you want to, you kind of want to go back and and oh, you know, relive the good old days. Yeah, and then you have a really bad experience. So I'm just letting you know if 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 you're like me and you've been cleaning your system up for a few years, this is not a place to go to. Yeah, you know, along those same kind of organic home home stuff. Homegrown sandwiches, uh, the shops started out, and they were supposed to be like homegrown. You know, it's sustainable, blah blah blah. <laughs> and we, and it really wasn't. No. Now it actually is. They're getting there. Everything, huh? every bit of produce is organic. Well, that's good. Um, they make their own bread. It's actually made by Grand Central Bakery, but it's their recipe, and they have a sourdough, a whole grain, and uh, a gluten free. Okay. Um, and and they're Meats are not organic, but they know exactly where they're coming from and everything. So recently, I've, I've been twice recently, and I have to say both times, it's been okay. The people are great. Mm. The staff is really knowledgeable. I'm really happy about the organic produce and the, the fact that you can get bread that's made for them. But the recipes just aren't there. They're just not quite there. And they're, they, they have a my, new one. They special spice configuration. They do. They've, their new spring one is a chicken and asparagus, and it was better than the one I had that's on their regular menu that I had a couple weeks before. Hmm. But it still was just – it had tarragon in it, which I love, and so that really was what took it up a notch. But uh, it still was just – it didn't make me want to run back and get another one. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Well, that is our News Bites, little little restaurant information for you too. And when we come back, we'll have our calendar. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by The Paragon Bar and Grill, your Upper Queen Anne destination for lunch, teeny time, evening entertainment, and weekend brunch. For two decades, The Paragon has served as the go-to neighborhood location while welcoming others from all over the Pacific Northwest and beyond. Visit them online today at ParagonSeattle.com. Hi, it's Leslie Mackey from Macrina Bakery here in Seattle, and you're listening to The Seattle Dining Show. Hi, this is Laura from Bothell, and one of my favorite restaurants in the Winneville area is Purple Cafe. You're back with Connie and our award-winning Spice King, Tom Marin. King of the chili. King of the chili. By the way, you know, it was chili dog chili I made. Yes. So it was chili, and then it had the hot dogs in it, and it had the bread from the buns. Yep. 
I didn't put any it mustard was, or ketchup in it. It was like deconstructed chili dog chili. Yeah, and then I had some ground up uh, uh, onion and some Mexican cheese, and people could do whatever they want. Yeah, I don't know. I Obviously, a big second second placer. All right, we're moving on to our calendar. We're going to do highlights from the calendar. And um, we want you to know there's no fooling around now. These are all serious calendar no items. No more fooling. The fooling's over. Yeah, we've had our fun. So on April 1st, so get out there right away and make these reservations, um, Beatrix Vegetarian Pop-Up Dinner. First of all, I love this because it's like, you know, the bunny stories. Um, but uh, it's Lloyd Martin, Chef Sam Crannell, who is a really great chef and, and does so many wonderful things. And this is a one-day vegetarian pop-up at Lloyd Martin. That's at 1525 Queen Anne Avenue North, April 1st. So you need to make those reservations right away. So when you say it's a vegetarian pop-up, but Sam is doing it at Lloyd Martin? Yeah, so um, April 1st, is that a uh, Monday by any chance? I don't know. Okay. Um, I'm just wondering if it's on a day that they're normally closed or something. Uh, April 1st is going to be on Saturday. Saturday, well... That's the deal. It's they're doing that that night. So that's you know they change their menu constantly. It's like every day it's different. I just always thought a pop up was when somebody else showed up at your restaurant and cooked, or you know, or they went to your house. Or Sam's you know. actually been doing this for a while. I don't maybe pop up is not the right name, but what he's doing is different concepts. So he did um, like a pop up barbecue one one time because he's testing out concepts that he might want to do at some other point. Okay, so. I think that's why it's considered in his mind a pop-up, because it's him doing something Call different. Call it a test dinner. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right. What do you have next? Uh, let's see. On the 2nd, at uh, Tavolata, we have an April Sunday feast. They've been doing this for a while, haven't they? Yeah, they do it every month. Okay. So, and I, I think they take off during the summer and then start it up again or something. So this is going to be uh, lamb tartare. Things I can't even enunciate, like <laughs> tagiaska, olive, salt-cured anchovy, and mint, uh, pickled lamb heart. You're Everybody going for loves that. that. You're going for that one, I know. Yeah, they have the blood of the lamb dessert, I think. <laughs> from Fox Quack. Uh, oh, my. to get that from uh, Sweet Religion. <laughs> Let's see. Papardill. All kinds of good stuff here. you got to yeah. read about this on the calendar. Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. It's a long amazing. list of good stuff. And you'll, if you like lamb, you're going to want to be at this one for sure. Yeah, definitely. All right. Now, um, Esquin has a place called the, what they call the Sky Lounge upstairs from the retail store. And they do events there. And they are going to be doing – Arnie Milan, the sommelier, is doing an Italian wine class. I believe it's three different classes – the first one's on the 2nd, the next one's April 23rd, and then something beyond there. It might be in between there. But anyway, there's three coming up. Um, he's organized these by re- region, so it's the south, the center, and the north. And um, and actually, Seattle Times recently called him the finest wine mind in Seattle. So this is going to be really interesting. 1.30 to 4 p.m. in their Sky Lounge, 2700 4th Avenue. South of the stadiums, free parking available in their lot on the south end of the building. Um, you can get gift certificates if you want to treat somebody to that. So get out there and register, and you can find this on the calendar how to do that. On uh, the 7th, which will be uh, Friday, uh, we've got a wine-tasting cruise with Waterbrook Winery and Waterways Cruise Lines. So uh, that sounds 
You know, I never. I don't think I've ever done. I've never done a wine dinner on a on the water before. I've done their dinner. It wasn't a wine dinner per se, but it was. It was really good. It was fun. Is the first course Dramamine? No, you oh. have to do that on your own. They can't think of everything. You, oh, you do that before you get on yeah. the boat. Yeah, yeah. You're supposed to have that like a half hour before, yeah, right? Exactly. Okay. What else? All right. Um, on the seventh of April, we've got a Cole Solare Vintner dinner at Semiamu Resort. That. Should be good. That's at Pierside Kitchen. Starts at 5.30 for the reception, 6 for dinner. It's 145 per person. It's um, So that's, the, a, that's a wine dinner on the land. Yes. So we got a wine dinner on the land. we got a wine dinner on the water. You, you pick. This is, this is the Northwest for you. <laughs> so the winemaker, Daryl Allwine, will, Allwine, seriously? Daryl Allwine will be there um, leading the guests through the pairings. Again, look on the calendar because it's a long list of fabulous sounding, like bison tenderloin, carpaccio, please. Pistachio, apricot, jam, and biscotti paired mm. with Santa Cristina, Vin mm. Santo, Della, Valdecino, Ron Holden. Where are you when I need you? <laughs> so anyway, you need to call <laughs> Semiamu and uh, get that taken care of. Get your spot set because that is going to be nice. I guess the 7th is a, is a, sat- a Saturday? No, 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 no. Oh, no, I really messed up. Okay, uh, well, here's the deal. There's lots of Easter stuff going on. There is so much Easter stuff going on that we are not going to stop and talk about them all. I will tell you uh, some of the ones you're going to want to look at on our calendar. Seriously, uh, anything that's going on at Salty's, and there is like several different things going on with various Salty's. Uh, There's an Easter event over at Serafina. That's always a worthy one to check out. Uh, You want to get out of town, and you're going to head on over to Winthrop and go to Sun Mountain Lodge and take advantage of their Easter special. Uh, you want to get back on the water again because you know that wine dinner wasn't enough. You can get on Waterways <laughs> Cruise and get your cruise in there. Uh, you know, you can play all that Waterways Cruise stuff by ear. And, you know, if if uh, if the weather's bad, you'll just go to a land event. If it's not, if it, I mean, if it's good, then you're going to go and do a cruise. Yeah. And that is, I, as I mentioned, I have been on one of their uh, dinner cruises, not not a winemaker dinner, but very fun. It's very relaxing, and it's like... Honestly, like a little restaurant, it's it's like a private experience. You can have a table for two. So it's, you know, if you're thinking, oh, I don't want to go out and sit at a, a big long table with 40 people, you know, can't really see. It's going to be great viewing. Yeah. Um, the, on the 29th of April, there's the Northwest Wine and Cider Tour. Now, if you have been listening or reading uh, Seattle Dining or listening to Tom or I, you know we really like the Olympic Peninsula. There's so much going on over there. It's so cool. This and it is never a, rains. Well, never rains over there. I, I might have to disagree with you on that, but it's a good rain. You you're happy to be in that rain. Um, this is nine wineries and cideries from Chimicum to Port Townsend to Port Angeles. They're partnering with local cheesemakers to create unique pairings that sig- signify the flavors of the region. And then they've got tasty tidbits prepared by local culinary folks. And it's all taking place on Saturday the 29th and Sunday the 30th from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. Wine specials available throughout the weekend. Just go to their website, which is info. Well, it's it's uh, olympicpeninsulawineries.org and find out some information about that. And we have a that. link to where you can buy tickets for this right on our exactly. calendar. We're not going to read that link to you because it's like a mile long. But – 
you know, and the thing about OlympicPeninsulaWineries.org and the whole tourism group over there is if if doing an actual event isn't for you because you don't like the crowds and that sort of thing, they have so much information on their website. You can make up your own tour. Oh, yeah. Sometimes they have little tours that you can you can print out and take on your mm-hmm. own at your leisure. So Just very fun. All right. Now, I remember this one was around last year, and it's back, the Cheese and Meat Festival. I'm going to disagree with you. This is the this first is festival. First oh, okay. festival showcasing cheese and meat. Oh, yeah. It says it right there in the first line, doesn't it? Yes, it, it does. All right. Well, sounds like something. <laughs> it actually it is happening in other cities. I'm trying to remember if it was Vancouver, B.C., it has happened elsewhere, but this is the first time here. Yeah, it's like the Cheese and Meat Festival, but something sounds fishy. <laughs> I think you're the fishy one, Spice King. All right, so there's uh, this is at Macaw Hall, and there's going to be two different seatings for this, or settings. Uh, two different tasting sessions. You could either go in the afternoon, 3 to 5, and then go get dinner. Or you could have an early dinner and then go from 7 to 9 for dessert. Uh, lots of seminars going on. And, and when you say dessert, you're teasing. Yeah, I'm just kidding. Okay. We said no more joking. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, that wasn't really an April Fool's joke. All right. All right. So anyways, there's, there's quite a bit of information on our calendar page about this at seattledining.com. Just click on calendar and get all the tips on that. And I think we got one to go here, don't we? We do. The last one, tequila, not just salt and lime, cocktail class. This is happening at Serafina, and they are um, taking tequila, exploring its history, uh, talking about local Mexican tradition and lore. They're going to get a classic Spanish distillation, distillation techniques and aging methods. Find out how uh, fine spirits are made, styles available, how to craft cocktails. It's just going to be really fun, I think. They always they do great cocktail classes. They do, and people say, well, well hold on. Why, a Serafina, that's an Italian restaurant. Why are they doing a tequila deal? And my guess is uh, their bar staff is quite knowledgeable, very good mixologist over there. And uh, I'm sure that whatever their – Whatever they're doling out is going to be very informative. That's exactly right. They're very knowledgeable and fun people, and and they love to educate and share what they know. And this will also be paired with dishes from the kitchen. It's 80 per person plus tax and gratuity. Reservations are required, so get on the line and get that settled. All right. We are going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll be doing our featured guest segment. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by Queen Anne Olive Oil. Explore their huge selection of flavor-infused olive oils and balsamics. Mix and match to create some unique taste treats. Take a field trip soon to the top of Queen Anne and experience oils and vinegars in a whole new way. Find more information at QueenAnneOliveOil.com. Hi, my name's Robert Takahashi. I'm with Brian Carter Sellers, and you're listening to the Seattle Dining Show. Hi, my name's Roland, and I'm from Austin, Texas, and when I'm in the Pacific Northwest, I like to go to the Culture Cheese Club and eat the hot mess with beer, cheese, and beer, and pretzels. Jump left. Jump
We are back on the Seattle Dining Show. I'm Tom Mirren, the publisher, and uh, I've got a very special guest here with me right now for this segment. Her name is Lisa Warking Packer from Warking Wines. Hello, Lisa. Hello. So um, you started this winery after 20 years in high-tech marketing. Tell us what you were doing. Um, actually, I worked for um, Intel for many years, and then um, we had to move up here to uh, the Seattle area, and I worked for a few startups, and uh, I, my focus was marketing and communications. And I had just gotten to a point in my life where um, I needed a break. I worked at a startup uh, that didn't work out so well, and um, I... I just hit a point where I needed something different. And I had a friend who is the daughter of a winemaker. And uh, we had always spent time together. We're both foodies, and we love wine. And we would um, have, you know, spend a lot of time making great dinners. And um, when I was going through this period in my life, she said, why don't you take your experience and take it into the wine world? You love wine. You love food. Uh, take your marketing communications and, and see what you can do for wineries. And so that was my initial plan. And I, um, she had heard about a program up at Lake Washington Tech that had just started. It was a wine technology program. And I made a call, and the dean of the program answered the phone, and we started talking. He said, well, I have a class tonight, World of Wines. Are you interested? I said, sure. So I ended up going that night, and at the end of the class, he said, so what do you think? And... I said, it's great. He said, will you be back tomorrow? And sure enough, it was one class after the other. Wow. And the more I kept doing it, the more I realized um, I loved the process of making wine, maybe because I like to cook and bake, and they're similar. But I like the science behind wine, um, and I, I just got hooked. So uh, the wine tech program at Lake Washington Technical, how, how long is that program? Well, it was, and I started... Um, just as the program had begun, and I finished just as it ended, unfortunately. Um, oh, you mean that, that, that it's over? Huh? It's over. They don't over. teach it anymore. No, they don't teach it anymore. Well, how much time was that? It was a two-year program. A two-year program. And yeah. then you went and did a two-year certificate in enology at WSU? I did. So I, at the time, part of the thing at Washington or at Lake Washington Tech is I was placed in an internship with John Patterson, um, oh. which was a really great experience. Yeah. And, um, and thanks to John, I really got a hands-on experience, not only on the production side, but also from a marketing and event side, too, and just getting a flavor of what it took to run a winery. Um, and so he, he encouraged me to go and get that WSU degree. He thought I should continue my education, and um, I'm glad I did. It was a great program. When did you complete that certificate? Oh, gosh, you're going to make me uh, figure like that out. Like 2013, 2014, right, right yeah. around when you started up right. the winery? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. And then you worked at another kind of famous winery around here, Chateau Saint-Michel. I did, and I, part of the reason I did that is because I did come from a tech background, and I had always worked for big, well, a big company, mm -hmm. and I wanted to see what the difference was, um, and I had a great experience at Chateau Saint-Michel. They do an incredible job with their wines, and they really, even though they're a big Winery, they really take a small, you know, winery approach, a real, um, uh, you know, they're really good with producing a really great winery or wine at a really great price. Mm -hmm. um, and, and 
even though it's on a large scale, it seems like it's on a small scale. And they've got their big batches and they've got their small batches. Yes. So they're kind of all over the board on that. They are. And so I really, I loved working there and I really got to get a lot more experience with the white wine, mm-hmm. um, making white wine there. Um, and Riesling is one that I really love. And at the time I was at Chateau St. Michel, Wendy Stuckey was there, um, and uh, Riesling was one of her favorites, so it was kind of nice to get that knowledge from her as well. Um, but yeah, I, um, but I realized that I didn't want to work for a large winery after that experience. I, I wanted that small, hands-on um, experience, and hence I ended up starting my own winery. When you worked for Intel, was that in Oregon? Yeah, I was in Oregon. So I actually... Um, I grew up in Hawaii. Uh, I moved and went to Oregon State uh, and then Portland State, and I, right after school, started working for Intel there. Okay. The reason I ask is because then that means that you kind of had some exposure to all the Willamette wines and all the things that, that are grown out of King Valley and that sort of thing. And so you can, you're able to take that background of growing wines over on the, on the coast side, and now you're working with grapes coming from the mountainside. Or? Right. And I um, actually, uh, my in-laws live in the heart of uh, wine country. They are actually Christmas tree growers oh, uh, yeah. in the middle of, in the, middle of uh, the vineyards. Connie and I have a funny story about a <laughs> wine trip that we tried to take one day. We had a list of five uh, uh, vineyards we were going to go to and pretty much every one of them had been turned into a Christmas tree farm. Yeah. It was the failed Chardonnay years of Willamette <laughs> Valley. Right. So, yeah, I love, um, and, you know, I always say um, I, I really love earthy pinots. Um, and, uh, yeah, I guess I really got my first, I, I guess I had exposure to wine um, just from my family. Uh, my stepdad was a big um, Italian wine guy, so Barolos. Uh-huh. Um, in my, I remember on my 21st birthday, you know, he's like, have you ever had this wine before? And I was like, no. And he's like, you got to have it. So, um, being introduced there and then, um, living in the Willamette Valley or close to the Willamette Valley, uh, with Pinots. Yeah. They're, they're amazing wines. Yeah. Yeah. And very different if you try to grow something like that over here in Washington. Very different. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that um, Washington State, we're, gosh, it's such an amazing place. And, and I've tried to explain to people about, like I went to France last year um, and I went to Alsace and Champagne and Bordeaux. And they would ask, the winemakers would ask me questions about how can you grow all these grapes in such a small area? And I'm <laughs> like, well, we can. And we do it really, really well. Yeah. Um, so it's something very unique to the rest of the world. So what uh, what sort of, I haven't looked at the website yet, but what kind of um, wines are you selling, are you creating right now over at the winery? Well, I try to keep more of a Bordeaux kind of uh, style, but we do do a Syrah, um, so I do a, and a, and a Riesling. So I would say um, we currently have, a, we do, I do a Cab, I do a Merlot, a Syrah, I do a blend, and then I have a Riesling, and I do a 100% Roussan, and, and then this year I did my first rosé, which is 100% Syrah rosé. Oh, that sounds, like, that sounds like some fun tasting. Yeah. I need to go. Um, and so tell me about your red blend. Uh, so my red blend is called Descendant, and it varies a little bit each and every year. 
Um, and there's no real rhyme or reason. We just kind of taste and see what was the best, and we kind of put it together. And kind of like descendant means every every new descendant is a little bit different. Um, it has the same heart, same lineage, but it will change a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And I, that's one of the things I like about red blends is they can change all the time. And usually, to, it, it, personally... My palate tells me that a lot of red blends are sometimes better than the 100% this or the 100% that, just because the winemaker was able to work with that. Right. Wine. It can fill in the holes. But I do think, I'm maybe a purist at heart, is I do want you to have a cab from Washington State and know what it tastes like. Mm-hmm. And we can even go even further than that. Like, um, if you have a Red Mountain cab versus a Walla Walla cab, they're, they're, they're similar but different. Oh, they yeah. have a different, and, and I want you to be able to taste that and get that kind of reflection of the, the vineyard in that, in that wine. Um, so, uh, you know, and I always have this, um, I love people who challenge Washington wines, especially my California friends, where they believe Napa is it. Uh, and I've done many blind tastings with them, and I always throw a Merlot in the mix if we do a cab tasting. And I will tell you, nine out of ten times, I take one of the three spots with that Merlot. They believe it's a cab. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's nothing like Washington Merlot. Oh, no. The terroir and all is so different from California. Yeah. You know. It's big, it's bold, it has grapefruit. And we have a lot more control over how much hydration those grapes get all year as opposed to California where they might get, well, I don't know, didn't they just recently get dumped on with <laughs> rain big time? Yeah. And I know that has a tendency to take some vineyards out sometimes down there. So uh, we, don't, we don't have those kind of episodic things happen in our vineyards in Washington. They do in Oregon. They yes, can. they do. Yeah, we've been really, really fortunate here. Um. So now, you, you, but you're doing this 100% Rosan. Where do you get those grapes from? I get it from Gamash Vineyards, um, and they're kind of up above there in um, kind of the area Othello or Mesa, Columbia Valley. Okay, gotcha. And um, and I love Rosan. I've always um, loved it as a single varietal, and um, I do. We ferment it in uh, some French oak, not 100%. Um, and all that area out there has got so much minerality from the Missoula floods. Yeah, it's beautiful. So you get that mineral quality mm-hmm. about it, but you also get those lovely floral notes. And the thing I love about our Roussan is it reminds me of like that orange blossom smell that you get. Um, it definitely has that. It has kind of that orange peel flavor yeah. to it. Do you, do you think you'll do a white blend at some point? Maybe add some of that into it? I know. Everybody keeps bugging me to do a Roussan Marsan <laughs> blend, but I... I guess uh, you know there. Are, I'm trying to do something a little bit different, and I really want to honor that that grape, and I do want to really honor that vineyard. Um, so I don't know if I'll do that in the near future. That'd be interesting. I don't think I've had a Roussan Marsan blend up here. Uh, there's one out of California that I really like. Out of out of uh, it's kind of Central Coast California, but uh, Zaka Mesa. Mm. And so I, I would love to compare something from here with something that I already know from down there. So I just haven't looked around enough. I, I, I'm sure somebody's listening to this right now going, God, Tom, you know, five people in Washington State <laughs> making a Marsong Rasson. Yeah. Uh, how many how many cases a year are you making right now? So we're doing about 850 cases. Okay. Um, and our plan is really to stay small and mighty. So... 
under 1,000 cases. I want to be able to stay hands-on and manage this process on my own. Um, I like being in Woodenville where I am. I, ha- I love my neighbors. Um, it's a real collaborative environment. Um, and, yeah, I'm really happy with the size we are right now. And so you're in Woodenville. You have a tasting room here. Are you doing all the blending and all that right at the tasting room? We do it all. So okay. we um, truck our grapes over the mountains, and we um, use, actually, John Patterson's facility for production. Oh, we use his crusher and distemmer all that equipment. Um, but we have our own tanks. We do all our own blending and fermenting in our space. So then you have to drain the tanks and take them over for bottling. Yeah. Well, actually, he's right next door to me. Oh, okay. So That's I just, easy. I just run lines. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really great relationship. I've seen the mobile bottlers that go around in Walla Walla. Yeah. Yakima. Yeah. And we do that here, too. Okay. Yeah. Um, when you started in 2013, you got a a gold medal right out of the box from Sunset Magazine. Yeah, it was actually uh, pretty unexpected. And what was that on? Um, that was on our Syrah uh-huh. uh, out of Waluk Slope. Um, yeah, and I, um, yeah, it was a really nice surprise. So um, are most of your grapes coming from the, like the Waluk area or Othello or... Well, so currently we changed things up a little bit. Um, the vineyard that we were getting fruit out of, Wallach Slope, um, he actually opened his own winery, and he's doing super well and doesn't have a lot of fruit any ah, longer. Yeah. But um, but and as we've grown and our reputation has grown, it's allowed us to get into some other vineyards as well too. So right now our um, our fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen. Um, our cab and Merlot are coming out of Kiona Vineyards in Red Mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, and then our Syrah is actually coming out of Gamash for that. But this year I added Stillwater Creek Syrah as well, too. Um, so, and then we also get our, um, our Cab Franc still out of the Wallach Slope, which is um, from a little vineyard out there called Rosebud Vineyard. Okay, that's good. So, you, yeah, I mean, it's kind of nice when you don't have your own vineyard because you can just shop around. Yeah, and, you know, the thing is, like, I, I've been talking to other winemakers, and, and, like, one of the great things we have here in Washington State is there are no really bad growers. I mean, like, yeah. you have to work really hard to find a bad grower. The growers here are amazing people. They work really, really hard, and they really honor the fruit. And so... I really try in my winemaking to, like, be respectful of what they've done. Mm-hmm. Like, their hard work, and I'm hoping that I can reflect their hard work in my wine. And what I like about Washington State is that, it, you know, we, we know nothing right now compared to what we're going to know in, say, 50 years. We still don't know what the capabilities are. We're, we're learning all the time. How about Albarino? Is that something you might want to dive into? You know, I... Um, I know people who are doing Albarino and they're doing it really well. I think if I I will look for French varietals, we will kind of stick in that. We'll we'll kind of stay true to the French kind of style wines. Okay, so your tasting room is here in Woodenville. Mm-hmm. By the way, we're recording the show here in Woodenville today, uh, and it is uh, actually we're in Bothell, aren't we? Oh well, one nine five zero one one hundred forty fourth Avenue Northeast, Suite D seven hundred. And that's in the warehouse district, right? So that's up on the north end of town, there, north, right? Northeast side. Well, we're the yeah warehouse district, so we're right next to Patterson Cellars, across from Guardian and uh, um, 
uh, Darby is there, and actually Kevin from Barrage, and then Sparkman. So nice. we have good so, neighbors. So somebody could just jump out of their car and travel around to all these little tasting rooms and then go and take a nap in their car. Yeah, actually, if you haven't been out to the Woodenville Warehouse area, you really should. It's a, like, it's a great way. Most of the time, the winemakers are there. You get to meet them in person. Um, and I call it like, it's like an incubators for wineries. Yeah. A lot of small wineries start there and they're in shared spaces and then they get big and they move into their own space. So it's a really unique place. So is there is there a day going to come when you're getting kicked out of your little nest and you're going to have to go and get a bigger place? Uh, um, I'm not going to think about that right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm managing what I have now. All right. Our guest today has been Lisa War King Packer from War King Wines. And thank you so much for coming out. Hey, thanks. We will be right back. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by Salty Seafood Waterfront Restaurants. Visit them on the water at their Alki, Redondo, and Portland locations. Hi, this is Heather Decker with Yakima Valley Tourism, and you are listening to the Seattle Dining Show. My name is Cassandra, and one of my favorite restaurants in Olympia is Swing Wine Bar overlooking the Capitol and the lake. Kenny, are you awake? You're back with Connie and Tom and the epic April show. And we just had a great time this month, and we like, as always, to end the show with a few tips. I'm going to start off with a dining in tip. And I think um, I've just uh, lately been appreciating my friends and family a lot. And I was thinking about how food is such an in- integral part of social dealings. Mm-hmm. And that. Um, we all get to feeling we're so busy. We just can't fit another thing in. And I think we have to stop and sit back and say, you know, what's really important? And usually that's sitting around a table having some food with good friends or family. So uh, in terms of eating in, I'd say have friends over, make a meal that you really enjoy, or, or guinea pig something new on them if you like to cook. Um, Try out a new recipe and make it easy on yourself. Maybe you don't want to have a, a big dinner. Maybe a weekend brunch is better. Or, you know, maybe your schedule allows people to come over for, for lunch one day. Um, but I think we all do better when we keep our friendship strong, and so much of that is around the table. Mm-hmm. And there's some things that we can make ahead of time that last a long time, so mm-hmm. we don't have to do it all in, in the day before yeah. or whatever. Um, if if you don't know what dukkha is, I know you know what it is, but yeah. I mean, for the listeners, if you don't know what dukkha is, uh, D-U-K-K-A-H, look it up online. Uh, you can hold it in your house at room temperature for about six weeks. Yeah. It's a delicious, yummy little seed type of dip. Oh, so Put good. some olive oil in there. Give that to your friends. You will blow their minds. They are going to be so happy. And, you know, that's a good point. I used to do this when I worked an 8 to 5 job and wanted to do a, a weeknight dinner with friends. I did something every day. I made a piece of it every day. And so by the fourth day, by Thursday night or something, yeah. I was ready to roll. Yeah, things like yeah. salsas, you want to make those the day before because you want those flavors to meld up. Exactly. So. All right. So do you have a dining out tip for us? 
Uh, I thought that you, you were going to talk about tipping. Oh yes, tipping. You want to talk about tipping? So here's here's what I'm down to with tipping. Uh, basically, you don't want me coming to your restaurant, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Connie yeah. just almost spit all her tea uh. out of her mouth right then. <laughs> you know, we've, we've, we've said so many times if Tom had a restaurant, nobody would be able to afford it. Now no one wants him there because of his tipping policies. Yeah, no one wants me in their restaurant. This, they don't want to come in mine. So. And, and you wonder why I'm talking about having dinners in your home because it's the only place Tom will be allowed. So here's my tipping policy now. Um, and when I'm outside of Seattle, I kind of stick around the 15% if it's, you know, if it's good service. Otherwise, it, it goes down. But if I'm in Seattle, you'd have to work really hard to get me to tip you at 15% because you're making $15 an hour or more, and I'm not. So, um, And if you're at the uh, 14 Karen and East Lake, you probably won't see <laughs> something come across on the tip line, but... Uh, uh, anyways, uh, I'm a lot more conservative in the city of Seattle because of, A, the um, high rate that people are getting paid, and so that's that's making my food costs go up, and uh, B, uh, they charge me so much to register my five motorcycles and my cars, <laughs> I don't have any money left. And I, and I will have to say, just in Tom's uh, defense, because people will be mad at him for saying not tipping, Tom's always been a great tipper, and he's very uh, good about service. But there comes a point when you're and, – and you're a big proponent. You were always a big proponent of the $15 an hour. Yeah, sure. So um, it's not that, you know, we don't want people to no, make a decent need, wage. We need to get back to where the minimum wage is right. And, and then if we leave a tip at a restaurant, it might be 10%, and everybody's happy. Yeah. That was, that, that's the way it was when I was a kid. Well, you know what? Personally, I've been reading a lot of stuff like the Danny Meyer uh, test and everything. I would love to see tipping just go away. I would, too. When, when we go and visit your brother in Australia, that just doesn't happen. Yeah. And I... I think that it is all a part of the overhead cost. It's not like I just want to take that money away from servers or somebody in the kitchen or bussers. I just want it to be a part of the cost of dining. Yeah, exactly. You know, so. exactly. Um, my gadget tip is, again, a little um, general, but I was thinking, I was looking around my kitchen and thinking, how much fun I had over the years when I was young, and I'd get so excited about cooking. I used to have tortilla warmers and all these things. Pretty soon, you know, you don't have space. You don't have any room. For every kind of uh, ethnic dinner you want to make and every special thing you want to do. And and I was looking at gadgets the other day, and there was a kiwi cutter peeler slicer. And I thought, ooh, that... And I stopped myself <laughs> and thought... When was the last time you did a kiwi at home? And, and when was the last time I thought, God, I wish I had a kiwi peeler? <laughs> so it's Never. one of those things that uh, you can get crazy, as we tend to do, because we love cooking and we love gadgets. But you really have to look at what you need, what you use frequently, or choose an item that will do duplicate things. 
And then you've exactly. got less space taken up, but it does a bunch of stuff for you. I got a food mill that keeps looking at me every time I open a drawer where it is and wondering when I'm going to launch it out of here because <laughs> I don't need it. I got the little Cuisinart. I got the medium-sized Cuisinart. And I can do anything that I need to do in a food mill in there. Or I've got shredders. I've got – I mean, I've got stuff. Yeah. That, that is a tool I do not need. And it's sucking up space in my drawer. Yeah. And you get tired of having to scramble to find what you want to find because it's under all these things you haven't been using. You know what else sucks up space hmm. is uh, all the storage containers, Yeah. especially if they don't nest well. Yep. So the other day I unloaded like 50% of my storage containers. Really? And I am so happy because I reach into that drawer and I can pop out the size I need. I can get yeah. to the lid quick. I don't have to do a lot of shuffling. I can get the door shut every time. I was going to say the, the drawer never used to slide in well. Yeah. So uh, mm. that's, that's another space sucker. Yeah. All right. It is time to wrap up our April show. Thanks for joining us. If you're not already a subscriber to our online magazine, it's free to do so. Just visit www.seattledining.com and click on subscribe free. We will be back next month with the May show. But until we get back, we want you to dine safe, dine well, and dine out often. Excellent. See you next month. Thanks for listening to another edition of the Seattle Dining Show. This program is a copyrighted production of Mixed Media. It may not be reproduced in part or in whole without written permission of the legal owner, all right? However, feel free to share the link with all your friends on Facebook. Studio equipment for this broadcast was purchased locally at American Music, a Fremont icon. The views and opinions expressed on this show are exclusive to the hosts and guests and do not reflect those of former employees of Bill the Butcher, the Surrogate Hostess, the Beeline Diner, Louie's Chinese Cuisine, the Doghouse, the Five Mile House, Charlie's, the Twin Teepees, Ocean Air, Benjamin's, the Madison Park Cafe, or any other lost Seattle icon. Subscribe free to our monthly magazine, online at seattledining.com and join us next time for another edition of the seattle dining show